Hi, it's Paul Camillos. Welcome to Series 5 of Shooting the Breeze. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin as we talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. This marks the start of our fourth year of covering women's hoops and women in hoops. And throughout the series, we welcome experts like Lyndon Moore from New Zealand and other special guests from across the world to get a global picture of the game. During this series, we'll take a closer look at the grassroots and the passionate people at the community level. And of course, the 30th edition of the FIBA Women's Asia Cup was recently held in Sydney, where the Opals took bronze and Asia's best players put on a show. Hit that subscribe button and to show your support, rate and leave us a review on iTunes so we reach more listeners. Welcome to part two of our Series 5 All-Star Edition. We're playing it back, featuring our most downloaded podcast from Series 5. To round out the All-Stars, we're sampling the following pods. Episode 116, Free Agency Part 1 with Sammy Mack. Episode 118, Lauren Jackson and Tess Majin She Hoops. And a first with a female director. In a bonus, episode 111, we have director Jocelyn Song on Zhong Pei Xing, The Sophia Song Story. Make sure to stay tuned for Series 6 coming soon. Enjoy. Now, Ruth isn't listed on the WNBL website as a free agent, yep. but she's also not listed as signed. So I'm going to guess that she is was signed for two years and it's just not listed. Because mm-hmm. that's the one person yeah. I would yeah. be prioritising is Ruth. And then Ledger Walker. They're the two that I would probably be prioritising from that existing roster. Uh, unfortunately, Jaeger went from a DP at the Flames to a roster spot at the Fire, yeah. which was excellent, and then unfortunately had to miss the season because of injury. But she's also now back on court, so it would be interesting mm-hmm. to see if Shannon's going to give her another chance as a roster spot. Um, what do you reckon, Sammy? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Ruth, you know, carried the momentum of a stellar NBL1 season last year into a, a really good campaign back in the WNBL. And she just brings um, a known quantity, doesn't she? She's solid. You know you're going to get good rebounding out of her. You're going to get some scoring and just do the, the little intangible things. Um, Nasea Parker-Williams. mm you know, she was a DP last year. Um, she's having a, a pretty reasonable season with Jundaloo at the moment. So I would be interested to see whether she maybe comes back or does she stay in Perth, possibly, for links. But she would be someone I'd look at. Really, really solid player. Um, only played seven games last year. But good size and young. Good lengths. Good lengths yeah, too. Absolutely. I would love Absolutely. I would love for uh, Nishaya to have another crack next season whether it's Perth or Townsville either way I would love to see her in an in um re-sign somewhere even if it's a second stint as a DP yeah really good length like you said young athletic yeah hopefully she'll get another shot but uh the rumors that I have for the fire is Whitcomb Samuelson and Alice Kunick oh right (laughs) right that is hey not bad that that's a lot of that shooters. Would be, a that lot would be a shooters. lot of firepower in that team. 
It's a lot of yeah. shooters. Like, I mean, we know that the championship team and their high shooting percentage and execution in the half court, I mean, definitely got them that championship. Like their commitment to their offense and, this, and to the Shannon systems was outstanding. And any one of them is a walking bucket. Mm. So that's a lot of firepower. That's a lot of ball sharing. Yeah. I know that it is a situation where some people will have to sacrifice the number of shots they ultimately would want to take. But if it means you're under the nose of, you know, a emerging Opals coach yeah, and yeah, the right, cha- right. reigning championship coach uh, playing at home, I think you're in a pretty good position for a, a, a lot of good opportunities. So if those three sign, oh, my gosh, game over. <laughs> I'm interested too because Samuelson is – I just saw she's been signed to a hardship contract. Yeah. And uh, WNBA Sparks. And then what do they do with Tiana Hawkins? Oh, I would love for her to come back too. She was probably one of my favourite players yeah. last season. Yeah. And especially yeah. in that role of the 4 5, she was so versatile inside, outside, did not, <laughs> did not even want to like stop playing yeah. a minute. Didn't, didn't want to sit down in a break. Just wanted to keep running and running. Like, I love having those people in the leagues. But if she doesn't re-sign, that's big shoes to fill, isn't it? Absolutely. That's massive, massive. But I guess Shannon can just look at going a different route in the way that he he plays the game when you've got the firepower of Wickham. Oh, yeah. You know, Koenig <laughs> and Samuelson. Yeah. Really if that happens, if, if it, it happens. happens. It's all happens. rumors Absolutely. and speculation. It's all speculation. Perspective is cool, isn't it? Like, it's oh, cool. yeah. We love how- oh, yeah. Yeah. And we're about to, we're yeah. about to get into the really specky part now. And this is where we said pick three players on the free agency list and what team would you like to see them in? So this is like forget everything else that we were just talking about. If you could pick three players out of that list, what team would you like to put him into? Oh, that's pretty big considering I've also – prepared a list of people who are back home in Australia or are technically free agents that weren't playing WNBL last season that could definitely compete for spots with the current free agents. That's okay. Any three names that you want to throw in the ring? Well, <laughs> uh, have you have you prepared a list of three, Sammy? Look, it's like doing Triple J's Hot <laughs> like ten, 10 songs and <laughs> I'm going to about 30 right now. So. <laughs> yeah, look, I don't have a prep list. For me, I feel like during the conversation going team by team, I think I've already expressed the existing free agents that were with a previous team I'd like to see re-signed anyway. Hmm. But to throw in some extra names uh, just to make things complicated, I already spoke about Monica Cisnano who came from Iowa. Mm-hmm. So I'll put her to the side. She doesn't count. Alex Fowler has just graduated from Portland. Yes. She's playing NBL 1 North for Townsville, so I would love to see her signed to Townsville as well. Uh, she's also a Townsville local, so makes yep. sense. She was a superstar for Portland. Um, Chantel Horvat, she's playing for Geelong at the moment, NBL 1 South, so she went to UCLA. She had a little bit of time in the WNBA, I think. Was it with the, was it with the Sparks? No. Ah, uh, oh, who was it? Anyway, she had a bit of time with the WNBA last season and then was waived because I think she had a training sparks. contract. It was the Sparks, mm-hmm. so my memory's still intact. That's good. <laughs> then she uh, played in Poland with Alana Smith, 
and had a great season over there. But now that she's back on home soil, love for someone to snap her up. So while we're rebuilding the Melbourne Boomers, uh, I could see her either with the Boomers or with Bendigo. I could see her slotting in in Bendigo being another experienced, prolific scorer with some lengths that can play on the wing. So what's that too? See now... I'm tossing up here between a couple of other players. There's Ella uh, Tofe. No, oh no, I said that so poorly. Um, she's playing for Geelong as well. She's just graduated from Texas Tech. Would love to see her snapped up somewhere. Kylie Shook has just been w- waived by Phoenix. Now she played for Adelaide Lightning. She's probably somewhere that could slot into that five spot in the likes of Bendigo or maybe even Townsville to fill, try and fill Tiana Hawkins' shoes. And Charlie Collier, who was the number one draft pick in WNBA not too long ago, was recently waived by the Dallas Wings, which was an absolute (laughs) travesty. (laughs) She was a big player with the Texas Longhorns a few years ago, played next to Izzy Palmer, Mm -hmm. who now plays for Utah. Um, So I don't know if that's realistic to get her snapped up. But in summary, because now I've gone off track, Alex Fowler, Izzy Bourne, Chantel Hordevat, those three of the locals. Oh, Ella um, Tofa, who's playing for Geelong. They're, they're the four local girls who have on home soil, finished college. Someone sign them up, please. And they could very easily compete for an existing spot and compete with the existing free agents. So the end. Sorry, that went no, okay. around the world and back. That's a, that is a good one. So... On my list, I wouldn't really call it a list. <laughs> Literally just jotting down names. You did mention what Alana Smith, you know, leading in again, leading into an Olympic year, coming back, has links to Adelaide. She's a Melbourne girl. So Melbourne Boomers, uh, Southside Flyers on the phone. Flies might have the budget. Uh, yeah, that's right. Exactly right. Um, another one for me, Darcy Garbin. Yeah. You know, coming back. Uh, would love to see her back in the league. But does she go to a Melbourne team, having played South Conference last time for Frankston? So they're two Aussies. And, look, honestly, you could put a blindfold on and throw a dart at the board with all of that amazing talent just coming out of college that has just been waved from the the WNBA. Like, to land some of them that would have a chip on their shoulder about, you know, being waved, missing out, and they'd have a real point to prove. So I would love to see someone try and snap those players up. And then also, you know, we spoke about the Aussies, like such solid, impressive college resumes for some Aussies that are just – Finishing up, I'd really mm. like to see us rope them in and have them playing where we can watch them. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm lost for words. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, so I'm going to take a different route. I've got three names. I'm going to say I would like to see these three players show up on the Sydney roster only because... you got a bit of bias. No, I just... I live, <laughs> I live in Sydney. It means that, you know... <laughs> right, so... Out of all the names, I'd like to see Loz Nicholson, Al Koenig, and Shanice Swain suit up for Sydney. Sheesh. With Tess and... Yeah. Holy moly, and <laughs> Kayla. Oh. Yeah, well, I mean... If wow. You, look, if you, That's an Opal <laughs> score. That's not Sydney play. <laughs> hey, look, if, if you're trying to get the, get the chip within three years, 
what better way to start? Mm. <laughs> how did you find those? And how did you find the reaction from people to those programs? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. Thanks, LJ, for giving me the opportunity. I think um, although I've been extremely busy the past couple of years, it has you know taught me some skills, some valuable skills that I'll be able to use post-playing career. Um, I'm also studying to be a PE teacher, although that's been on hold for a couple of years now. So I've always been really passionate about physical activity, especially in young people, especially in teenagers where they tend to drop off. I love teaching people new skills. I love the light that comes in their eyes when they do something that they couldn't previously do. So the She Hoops platform has been perfect. You know, it's just as rewarding for me as it is for all the girls and boys that jump on every Monday night. You know, I still have people coming up to me saying, I run your She Hoops sessions with my under 14 and 16 boys teams. And, you know, all the skills you teach are translatable. I mean, I still do them every day myself so I wouldn't be teaching something to someone that I didn't believe in um, and you know those dribbling shooting footwork they're the foundation of basketball so we all do need to keep practicing them and I think sometimes people forget that you know you can't be as good as as you want to be unless you have control of the ball and you have great footwork so that's basically the foundation of what I try and teach at she hoops and then obviously make it as fun as possible. I like that um, focus, especially on fundamentals and especially on footwork, because I've noticed with juniors in the last, say, five, ten years, maybe more with with boys than uh, with girls. But um, because what they see on TV, particularly NBA, they just see the Steph Curry step backs, hard, and you know all that fancy ball handling, and they just go out and attempt it straight away. And it's like you got to bring it all the way back to those. Some foundations of good footwork, good ball handling skills, and then you can go and do a step back. Absolutely. And I think what they don't know is that Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, you know, all those amazing people that they're trying to be like practice this footwork stuff every day. You know, I follow a lot of the trainers to try and keep my basketball skills up to date. So, like Phil Handy, who's assistant coach at Lakers, um, LeBron's trainer. They're practicing this stuff every day. So the final product is amazing, what people get to watch us do, but I don't think everyone fully understands the time and effort it takes one-on-one by yourself or those unseen kind of hours to be able to do what we do and do what, you know, those professional NBA elite players are doing. Yeah, I um, we had a I'm a girl, I can do anything camp on the coast last year. So all girls camp and that's a basketball New South Wales uh, initiative. And we had some players there who typically play like Div 2 rep basketball or they were new to basketball and we were doing similar drills. And I also mentioned, you know, the the top players that, and rattled off a few names, like they do this every day and they were so gassed already. Uh, every day. It just, every day they, it just blew their mind. <laughs> it kind of was a bit of a uh, change in their perspective like, a little bit, so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, before I start any session, that's the first thing I start it with so that people understand that, you know, it, it might seem basic, but it is so important. And until you can do that perfectly, you can't really move on to the next skill that you want to achieve. So layering those skills, especially on she hoops, we have, I try to make it 
you know, interesting for a whole range of ages and challenging. So I try and layer all the skills. People can stop at whatever they're ready for, but I do try and make it as challenging as possible for those more advanced players. Just before you jumped on, I kind of touched on with LJ about um, using she hoops as an opportunity to engage some maybe like older females, like, you know, that missed the opportunity to learn basketball as a kid and want to get into it now. Have you had any, because I also know that Melbourne Boomers were doing like the mums basketball. So have you had any contact with some new basketball players in a similar way through she hoops? Yeah, there was one um, female, she uh, she would have been about my age, maybe a bit younger. She had just done her ACL and she played Big V, so she was getting back into it. She was also a volunteer for Southside Flyers, so just a massive hoops fan. And she came up to me and she's like, I do she hoops, I love it. Like, can you train me out of, you know, out of hours? So that was like super cool to hear that and that she was getting something out of it. Obviously, I didn't really have the time at at the time to train it out of hours and then I think she broke her foot so yeah that's probably the main um one that comes to mind that really kind of you know and she's she's just such a great person she does heaps for women's basketball and then to be able to give back to her was pretty cool I'm just wondering how much support do you guys get from the state basketball associations for the she hoops program um, currently, at the moment, we're trying to collaborate a little bit more. And I think, like I said before, over the next couple of months, I think there's going to be more of an opportunity to do that, purely because we are going to be getting into the their clubs and associations to run these holiday camps. But um, there's more more of a focus at the moment to collaborate and um, do some things. And we're hoping to run a networking event at Asia Cup with BNSW, which is exciting, and potentially one with Basketball Victoria um, in August. So I think the next few months are going to be really critical for for us and where we go and, and that collaboration piece with the states and territories. Now, I know this is kind of a question of both of you, and it's it's a bit of a blue sky question. If money was no object, what would be like the key things you'd like to see happen with She Hoops? Oh, God. Where do I start? <laughs> um, if money wasn't an object, look, I think I'm just going to go back to my participation piece. I think getting girls engaged at a really young age and getting that participation rate of girls to get it closer to 50-50 with boys, I think that's going to be the biggest piece, you know, and then figuring out how we keep kids engaged after and kids in general, like boys and girls, keep them engaged from that 15 to 18 year old um, space. It's just, I think the benefits of being in team sport, particularly in adolescence and in teenage years, it's so important for kids to have those relationships and those connections and then also build on the skills that, in my opinion, only sport can give kids, you know, and the empowerment and the mental health benefits. There's just so much that, that sport does. Um, and I think that's, it's so important during those years. That's sort of what I'm focused on at the moment. So. Absolutely. I think in a broader basketball perspective, um, LJ's the expert on she hoops, but in a broader basketball perspective, I would first and foremost get enough courts for everyone that wants to play it. And then I would if money's not an uh, not a boundary here, I would actually start paying people to coach juniors because a lot of the time I go and watch juniors, you know, have seven nephews and I feel bad for the parents. They don't really know 
what they're doing and then the kids are losing interest. They don't know how to run a basketball session. And yes, there's coaching clinics and stuff, but I'm talking about people that don't even know those exist. So I would pay people to coach that might not necessarily have the time, but if you're getting paid, you're going to make it a priority. And then I'd run heaps of coaching sessions, how to run trainings, and I'd just be trying to upskill coaches all the time so that they know the knowledge, the best knowledge that's out there. That's where I would go. I'm kind of glad you brought that one up because I know with my daughter's team, they are struggling to find a coach. Mm. Right, quite. Let, let's put aside the problem with with court time because that that's a whole nother issue. <laughs> but you know, finding a coach who's able to to not only just drill them, but also to be able to to help them work out plays and be able to work together as a team seems to be a problem that I don't think is getting it's it's getting worse. And I don't quite understand what it is that's really driving it to get to the stage that it's at. Yeah, it is really frustrating because basketball is such a team sport and, you know, seeing kids just dribble down the the ball down the court the whole way and then just shoot a shot is not the way it's supposed to be played. So, and the skills that LJ is talking about, like that resilience, persistence, teamwork, those soft skills that you can only get really by playing a sport and basketball, obviously, where bias is the best sport to get that from. So, yeah, just seeing it played the right way, I think, would also increase, you know, people staying in the sport as well because they can see that they're getting better. They enjoy going to training. It's hard. It's challenging. Um, and then, you know, it's being played the right way on the court, so it makes it more enjoyable. And, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I agree with Paul. It's a really good point to highlight, Tess, about fostering coaches and new coaches and upskilling coaches. And even going one step further, you know, paying people to be junior coaches, but then even before that, paying people to go to the coach's course, because sometimes I think that can be a little bit of a barrier as well, not always guaranteed you know, what they're going to get out of it, availability, like that. And it will certainly, I think, um, make people a lot more accountable and maybe take a bit more pride in what they're doing. Because my, my club in particular, when we first started and back, back in my day, I'll say, we were, um, we were the club to beat. And over the years, we've kind of become like middle-rate, third-tier team. Unfortunately, the access to coaches and coaches who have the skill to keep developing our future athletes is probably a bit of a downfall because we always think about the pathways for players and, you know, there's certainly more investment going in our pathways for referees. So it makes sense that the, the coaches need to start to catch up a bit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't expect we're ever going to be able to pay coaches to coach, you know, junior level basketball. But if there was unlimited resource of money, just highlighting the fact how important it is. I think that's also why She Hoops is so awesome. It's not just for players, it's for administrators, coaches, referees. Like they're really covering everything to get women more involved in basketball, which is definitely something that I'll give all the time in the world I have for. No one will really understand the full scope of the story if we held back on, you know, what she felt like in that moment of receiving the news, you know, and how she was able to process her grief. Like, you, like, I don't want to sugarcoat anything or leave anything out. So, uh, and she was fully along with it. So that's kind of what we, you know, set out to do when making the film. Yeah, she was certainly very honest and vulnerable, uh, especially when it got to the point in the documentary speaking about the timing, especially of when your dad became unwell. 
um, how mm. she was just starting college and she just reached, you know, the t- second tier or the second top tier of the journey that they had planned out together for her life since Sophia was a kid. Um, mm. So I think the timing of everything was um, made it even more heartbreaking. And she was super vulnerable in that stage too. So we got to commend her for yeah being so honest and vulnerable um, mm-hmm. to accurately share the story, but also was really impressed that your sister was able to recognize that she needed to have a break. Like that she, mm. I feel like when, especially when you're that age and you've been put on this path to play college ball and pro ball since you're a kid and something like that happens in the middle of it to disrupt it, there's still this obligation to keep going and mm-hmm. to just suck it up and deal with it. So I was really I, I, I say proud, even though I don't know you're your sister, but like it was really kind of impressive that she recognised that she really needed to take a break, step away from the sport and find yeah. a love for it without the emotional connection that she loved it because, you know, it was a thing she did with your dad. Yeah, no, definitely. And, I mean, for her too, like she really, like I, this was my first time really hearing her side of the story. I knew that at the time of when it was happening, um, I mean, we were all struggling with our grief at the time, but for her, um, I just knew that she was she was struggling with a lot of depression and anxiety, but I didn't know at the extent of like how bad it was and how, not bad, but like how, how much it was affecting her in every every aspect of her life. And she really reached a point where she was like, I, I can't even do this, you know? And, um, and that's when it became really clear to her that she needed to go like get like she really needed to go find help for herself so yeah and I, I commend her for doing that and I mean she did that all on her own too um she didn't want to put any more burden on us and that's why she kind of kept it to, kept that to herself and to her coach up in you know Davis and we're also just really grateful to her coach for even letting her take that break because a lot of schools I mean when you're on scholarship you have an obligation to your school you know at, at all costs and her coach was really gracious and like gave her as much time as she needed to to take that step away. And uh, the college your sister attended, is that close by to where you and your family were living as well? Oh, yeah. So Davis is in NorCal. So that's about a six-hour trip <laughs> up north oh, in California. Okay. Yeah. So it's still in California, but the other part, I guess, the, I yep, the other car- that far away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Davis is, Davis is a drive. <laughs> wow. Because I was thinking at least... Sophia was relatively close to home. I saw a lot of the college offers she received, you know, Mm -hmm. including the likes of Nebraska. Um, Mm -hmm. So I imagine it would have been even harder having to be so far away from home when it happened. Um, Yep. Yeah. I'd take the six-hour drive versus a six-hour flight, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, and I that's a part of the the film I kind of had to cut out. She did explain, you know, that distance and what that distance kind of meant to her when I was interviewing her, but – that part got omitted. Um, so, for for those of you guys internationally, you, you probably wouldn't wouldn't uh, think think that Davis was like six hours away. But yeah, now the film closes out with you know the move to Taiwan and what it meant to Sophia and your dad and obviously the rest of the family. It's it's a key point in the story. How did you find yourself having to deal with putting that part of the story together? and how you made it work within the confines of the film. Yeah. So, I mean, when I was initially storyboarding, um, you know, I was thinking uh, my plan at least was that I would go back and forth between the present, which was at the time her training, you know, packing, 
saying goodbye to my dad, talking with family, you know, old coaches, all of that. I was going to mix that in with the past, you know, her talking about her childhood, high school, college, you know, taking her through her career, basically, and then end with Taiwan. But my professors were actually against that because the film would be a feature and not a short. (laughs) And at the time, the goal was to have a short. And I was I was with, I really wanted to make a short. I didn't want to make a feature film, but it was just going to be way too long if I had done like a back and forth kind of thing. Though it would have been nice. It would have been cool to try to explore that. But um, I couldn't, I was like, no, we, we can't go that route. So I knew I had to switch things up a bit. And, you know, the best way we kind of came up with was for, you know, was for me to hint the end of her being at, in Taiwan kind of at the beginning or just that the, you know, the results in the beginning and then tell the story out fully to get the big picture and, you know, really establish what it really means for her to play in Taiwan. And yeah, like building the story first and then delivering, you know, the hard parts later on in the film, I realized made for like a more, I guess, impactful story. Um, And so that's kind of how, yeah, that's kind of how we ended up figuring that out. And I mean, even when, even when we were filming this in September, it was still kind of unclear whether or not she would actually be going to Taiwan. So when we finally got the news that she, she was through, I kind of, it was a great way for me to like, be like, oh, okay, so now it's happening. I could, I could do this now. So, yeah. <laughs> and were you there ready with a camera to film the moment she got the official news that she could go? I, I was not there. I was not for, there for that. It was a quick text. Hey, guys, it's happening. <laughs> and I was like, great, we're, we're, we need to start filming this. We need to start filming everything now. <laughs> yeah, that would have been, it would have been interesting, though, if I was able to get that. But no, I missed it, unfortunately. You know, I mean, look, this is really a really personal thing for you. But it was really interesting from my perspective to see that, you know, you had put this together, you directed it, you wrote it, you had edited it, you've you've basically done this whole piece and it is great yourself. What was the personal journey for you as you were going through that whole exercise, literally from, you know, plotting, storyboarding right the way through to editing and finishing? Yeah, I'm going to answer this question like, and looking at it like from the professional standpoint i mean for me going into this i knew that i wanted to be on deck just myself though i wanted to to see how i could do this how well i could do this and like which part of it i like um because i know in the entertainment industry you know there's so many steps to production and i was i was like i don't really know which part really stands out to me so i really wanted to get the full scope of it and it turns out i really enjoyed doing every part of it um (laughs) And it was just, it's so much fun. This is like everything that I've always wanted to do. I love making, I love making like videos like this. I love editing and putting, putting music to tracks and, you know, sound mixing and looking for archival footage. Like I had so much fun doing that. And so, yeah, it was, I really wanted to make it a point uh, for me to, to be able to do this on like a professional standpoint, but on a personal um, personal journey throughout this. I think, I mean, making this with Sophia has definitely brought me closer with her. I mean, we love each other, obviously, but we are also sisters and we butt heads a ton. So, I mean, during, during shooting, we got into many fights, <laughs> many fights, uh, definitely got frustrated with each other at some points, but I mean, we both knew our purpose for doing this and, and she really trusted me to make this, which, which really meant a lot, you know? And again, like I said before, you know, I never really heard what she was going through when everything with my dad happened. So 
I think understanding, you know, the extent of her, you know, depression and anxiety and kind of explaining where she was at that part of her life, you know, I was really able, you know, to empathize with her. Mm -hmm. And I'll also add to that, you know, I kind of, I mean, through this film, I kind of also revisited my own like grief over my dad's situation. And I mean, like the footage, there was like a clip that I archived in the very beginning of the film of Sophia and my dad shooting, or Sophia shooting outside and my dad kind of coaching her. Um, so I, I was at school when I digitized that tape and I had never seen it before. Um, and so, and when my dad's voice came in, it was a, a surprise because I didn't, we had no idea, I had no idea who was behind the camera. Um, but then my dad's voice all of a sudden came in. And at that point I was just like sobbing because you know, I didn't realize it didn't really hit me um, until then, like how long it's been since I had heard my, my dad's voice, you know? And so, and also just Sophia talking, you know, through her grief too, like I felt it, you know? I mean, I was, you can't, obviously can't see me behind the camera, but I was also like crying with her because, you know, I remembered how I felt when I first heard that news, you know, like I was kind of like revisiting those, you know, those memories and those hard times. Um, and so, but with the waves of, you know, grief that comes here and there, um, there's also a lot of healing that comes with that and being able to talk about it with, or hearing, hearing Sophia talk about it and like kind of talking about it with her and sharing it with my family. It's very healing for all of us to kind of open up this, this like, I feel like people want to hide this, but for us to kind of share it and throw it out in the open, it's kind of, it's really nice, you know, to, to be able to um, bond over, you know, a shared experience like that. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.